Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and on this episode, I got to sit down with my good buddy Mike Tygo and talk about his favorite record of all time, Colors by Between the Buried and Me, which is a hard record to talk about because I'll be honest with you guys, I don't play an instrument. I never have been great at playing an instrument, so hearing a guy like Mike, who's been a guitar player since basically the beginning of time, the dude knows his stuff and he knows what to look for with these like technical progressive records. And so it was fun getting to hear Mike just absolutely gush about all of the wonderful arrangements that Between the Bear to Me offered up on this album. Something different about this episode is that we actually recorded it live on YouTube. So if you guys ever want to see how much editing I do to these podcast episodes, go listen to the YouTube version of this episode and then come back and listen to the audio version and see which differences you can point out. But before we get into my chat with Mike, just a couple of things I want to mention. If you guys like the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed to it so you don't miss new episodes. Leave it a review if you like it. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com, or you can sign up for my mailing list. Uh, There's going to be a link to that in the show notes. I'm also on social media, on Facebook, and on Twitter, and on Instagram, and threads, and all of those places. So... If you guys want to say hello, come say hello. With all of that out of the way, let's get into my chat with Mike Tygo about Colors by Between the Buried and Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Dungeon Talk. I don't know, is Dungeon Talk a cool name? We we joke about it on, on Discord all the time. I... I just was like, what do I call this? I call it Dungeon Talk, I guess. I mean, why not, right? I mean, it's the for your first go, I mean, you know, it, it'll work just fine. I think for this one, this was more of like a making like going in, dusting off all the cobwebs and figuring out whether or not all this streaming stuff still actually works. You know, so if anybody can see us or hear us, uh, definitely let us know. Or if you're in a weird situation where you can see us but you can't hear us, that would also be detrimental to what I'm trying to do here. That being said, Mike and I are here. You guys know Mike. Mike pretty much every time I stream, Whoa. I bring Mike with me because he's in my corner. He knows a lot about music, probably more than I do, honestly. I guess at this point you could call me a professional fan of music. You know, I'm, I'm a professional fan and I don't like telling people I'm a musician in front of guitar players because guitar players tend to n- not think that a guy that does vocals or screams like a dying calf into a mic is actually some kind of real musician. Well, you know, we get that all. I'm, I'm used to that. When I started listening to, you know, heavier music, whenever I was like, you know, getting into high school, you deal with the the whole litany of things from like you know turn that shit off to like you know oh, that'd be awesome if he just wasn't screaming the whole time like you know every every single thing it's just round and round we go right so you know here we are I'm a grown ass man 36 years old and I'm still hearing it from everybody it's like okay just you, you figure with the internet now people just move past that and read a lyric sheet and actually like enjoy something just as it is but hey, you never. Yeah, I mean, even when I'm at work, like you think it's 2023, right? Everybody's heard it, right? We, I've got guys there that that are into that stuff, and still, no matter what, uh, anytime somebody comes in from out of town or something, they're like, "What is that? Uh, what is that tech over there listening to?" You know, my boss has to message me and be all like, "Hey, um, just for today, maybe we could, maybe we could take it easy." <laughs> And I was like, what? I'm sorry, I cannot hear you over Inside the Torn Apart by Napalm Death. Uh, yeah, maybe you could turn off the cattle decapitation while the uh, visiting techs are in town. Yeah, yeah, may- maybe just maybe just for a couple of minutes. But I'm not here to talk about work because I was there all day, and uh, I'm glad to not be there right now. So Hell yeah. we're here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to talk about a record that I know is special to us yep. for different reasons. So I'm going to start with you, Mike, because you're kind of you're kind of my guest, even though like more than likely every time I do this, Mike's going to be with me. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking about Between the Buried and Me's Colors. And so I wanted to get a little background, Mike. You you have told me multiple times that this is either your favorite album of all time or it's one of your favorites. So this which is, one is it? it? It's my favorite album of all time. Like it is absolutely my favorite album of all time without any sort of hesitation whatsoever. So this holds... A very special place for me so whenever i first started playing guitar i was into all sorts of like 
you know, pop punk and ska and like all the late nineties, early two thousand stuff that, you know, you, you were into. Yeah. And then when I first got into college, I had to go to, you know, like it was like a 40 minute drive to this college I went to. And so I would go to like music biz and slackers looking for used CDs and such in between classes, so on and so forth. And I came across a CD simply just called between the buried and me. And I picked it up and it was like a standard kind of like metalcore death metal leaning kind of not quite prog, but kind of, it was very, very unusual compared to a lot of other stuff out there at the time. And I liked it a lot. And so when I was, you know, getting my guitar chops going, I kind of listened to that and kind of emulated a little bit of it. And then, you know, I'm going to show my, my age here to the younger folks that just maybe joined the stream, but I received a, a mailer from victory records. It was actually one of the demo discs that oh, came yeah. with the, the victory records mailers and Mordecai by between the buried and me from silent circus was on there. And I listened to that and I about fucking fell over like, and I mean, like it was incredible. I and me having, you know, pretty concerning amounts of ADHD, it was right up my alley. And it was so radically different than absolutely everything else in the market. I mean, that was like the era of Under Oath and like Atreyu and stuff like that. And then here comes, you know, Silent Circus, like, oh my God. So then I kept thinking to myself, you know, as I'm learning my chops, I kept thinking, like, okay, well, how are they gonna possibly top this? And then Alaska comes out, and then everybody and their mom wanted to learn how to sweep pick on guitar. It's like, okay, like it was just incredible. And so I'm getting better and better at guitar from like listening to these guys, and they're drawing from so many influences that I just start listening to more things. Like, you know, until then I had never listened to Earth Crisis, but now I'm listening to Earth Crisis and like Cephalic Carnage and stuff like that, because these guys are into it. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, well, there's no way they're ever gonna top this. And then Colors comes out. And I had an advanced, unmastered copy of it because somebody in the studio leaked it on, I think, like uh, LimeWire. And I, down I downloaded it off LimeWire or off Kazaa. Did your computer still work after that? I mean, barely. It barely, I was poor as hell, so it barely worked anyway. But basically, that would be like, so imagine if I, like, you know, if I wrote last year, if I wrote Pump Up the Volume by No Effects, I was like, yeah, all right. I, wrote, I just wrote this album. And then the following year after that, I wrote like, you know, basically the sound of perseverance by death, like without any sort of, <laughs> it was that big of a jump. And yeah. these guys must've practiced for like 10 hours a day plus every single day for years. I, I cannot, you know, and I'm gushing because I'm, I'm fanboying over this. I've seen them live several times, but I'm not just saying like, oh, it's a, it's a good, it's an easy listen. It's a good listen, which it is. The composition of the tracks is incredible. The amount of influences, you know, they, they basically sat down and said, hey, we all like Pink Floyd and Queen and Death and like all this other stuff. What if we did all that? Yes, but also with jazz fusion. It's bonkers and it works. And all eight tracks on that song, or on the album rather, just roll into one another like one continuous piece. And I think, and I've told lots of people this before, but the only way to really listen to it is just to listen to the whole damn thing, just cover to cover. It, it blew my mind. I got so much better at guitar because of it. I got so much more experience with music in general, like just branching out into all sorts of just weird and wacky things. Like all of a sudden I'm getting like, you know, Tarkus by Emerson Lake and Palmer. I'm listening to Yes and stuff and like getting into all the 70s super groups. And then I feel like, and I think we should probably touch on this later on too, so I don't just keep prattling on and on and on singing its praises, but I don't know how they feel about this. I'd love to talk to them and find out because I I feel like they hit their very best album ever like super early on in their career. And I mean, like, I don't think, in my opinion, they have ever topped it. They've come very close. Parallax 2 came very, very close. That was, oh my God, it was a hell of an album. Colors 2 is, is a kind of a nice homage to it in some ways it kind of reminds me like of a colors b-sides great misdirect was kind of a colors b-sides to me as well but i mean imagine like coming out you know you have you're like three albums deep and all of a sudden you drop out colors i mean you, they could have just quit right there like it was incredible i mean just everything about it was completely out of place for the time and quite frankly in my opinion dan i think that they influenced like the uh the sound of music from that point forward and like in heavy music and progressive metal because everything that we have now that's kind of mainstreamed in in, in modern metal kind of started there these like really like just abrupt drops in volume or changes in styles or incorporation of different styles you got some guy doing death vocals then it goes into five-part harmony with like gigantic soaring you know like epic metal guitar riffs it's just it's it's amazing
can't stop gushing about it, obviously. So definitely holds a special place in my heart. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, this record really came out of nowhere for me. I was into Between the Buried and Me before this, and there was a long time after Colors came out that I was still very much more of an Alaska guy. You know, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because Alaska blew my mind, right? So my first exposure to this band was we basically, I bought uh, the album Immersed by Sinai Beach. <laughs> Hell yeah. Which was, uh, you know, Pantera is in a is in a head-on collision with Danzig. Danzig vocals, dude. So like it was a victory record special and I'll probably end up doing a a separate episode on immersed at some point (laughs) in the future. But, uh, there was a victory record sampler disc. There was a DVD. You pop it into the PlayStation two and it had a video for Mordecai. And I don't know if you've ever seen the video for Mordecai before, but it's basically like a Ken doll goes out and, and commits a murder or something. It's wild like absolutely wild. I think that the weirdest part of it was that the first time we watched it, because it was me and Buddy, I remember we were in his apartment in South County and we got through like the Kendall stuff and we're like, oh, this is stupid. So we turned it off because the beginning of Mordecai is just nothing but just blast, 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 like right in your face. Oh, it's chaos. I love it. Yeah, it's great. But at the time we were just kind of like, oh, it's it's just a death metal band or whatever. You know what I mean? We just moved on to something else. We, we, We were too excited to watch the Freya video, you know, that was on there. And so it basically, once I got home and I decided to watch that DVD, because back then you have to understand how big of a deal that was for there to be a bonus DVD with something. So like I could go home and I'd have an hour of entertainment. And so I ended up watching the Mordecai video and getting all the way to the end and getting to that like more progressive melodic segment uh, towards the end of it with all the singing and everything. And I was like, it's kind of like... It's kind of like if Opeth was American, you know, like th- there's a lot of interesting stuff with that, but I just, I don't know, man. It just really captivated me. So I went out and I got uh, Silent Circus and I was lucky enough that when I bought Silent Circus, I loved it and I was really excited about it. And it's funny that you say that they like, they, they made such a huge jump because for me, that jump definitely started in Alaska. If you compare oh, yeah. something oh, like yeah. Silent Circus to Alaska, Alaska has probably my favorite Between the Buried and Me song ever on it called Selkie's The Endless Obsession, which is just a absolute powerhouse, progressive, melodic song. So that was what I kind of judged them by. And I, what I liked about Alaska was that, you know, Mike and I have very different opinions on progressive music. Obviously, like there, there's times where I'll be like, oh, no, it's too prog and turn it off. And then I'll go listen to death. And then Michael will be like, what are you how are you hearing this and not thinking that this is uh, also progressive? So when Colors came out, I liked it the first time I listened to it. But it was really weird, right? Because leading up to it, or maybe it was even on release date, they put together these like compilation of stock footage videos that went with every single song on colors. And so like my brain works in a really weird way where I'm always trying to find the deeper meaning behind it. I'm trying to figure out how these clips correlate to the music that I'm hearing, you know, or how the events that are happening in the video actually correlate to the lyrics. So it's weird, right? Like I remember watching it and not really being able to make heads or tails of any of it. Whenever I got to the song Son of Nothing, that's when it that's when it started clicking for me because that yep. was like that song was the first single I believe that was released. If you can call an album like this an album that has singles. The album is a single. It's like a 72 minute long single. <laughs> it is. It it all goes right together. But yeah, Son of Nothing was like the most recognizable to me, I think, as far as it having the familiar between the buried me structure. Like yeah, it was a lot longer right oh yeah but it still had that same structure that was recognizable to me and it was only then that i really started listening to the album as kind of one whole piece and it's there whenever you start seeing like sort of the progression that they had before so i don't necessarily think this came out of nowhere i think that it was always kind of there or cooking you know we say like oh how do they just go to the studio and, and record this or 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 figure this out or write it or whatever 
I have a feeling that they must have been composing these songs for much longer than just the between the album cycle. And uh, this could also just me not being able to fathom somebody being able to make such a great (laughs) transition, you know, into another style, you know, because I kind of feel like those historians that are all like, well, there's no way human beings figured out how to build these pyramids. So uh, I guess aliens did it right. Like, so, (laughs) well, you know, one of the big things that that was a benefit to them and and not, you know, let me get this out there, not to the detriment or to downplay any of the original between the buried members, but whenever they picked up um, Blake and Dusty from Glass Casket, that was, as soon as they did that, Alaska came out. And the the musicianship, the song structure, songwriting, and just the overall presentation went through the through the roof. I mean, that was, it, it was just, it was unbelievable. And I mean, to this day, having, having seen them live several times, they're at such a level now. I mean, I'm sure they enjoy what they do, but they're like, it's all business. Like when you're playing at that level and you've got that much going on, I mean, it's, it's, it's all business and they are so unbelievably well rehearsed the way they kind of do things live is, is just, it's mesmerizing. And I, I think that was, you know, to your point earlier, when you said Alaska was like the huge leap forward. I, you know, I really attribute that to them picking up Blake and Dusty from Glass Casket, who Glass Casket also rules, by the way. They put out two albums. They were both really solid albums. You know, Winston-Salem, North Carolina natives, just like Between the Barrier to Me. I'm sure they were all buddies playing the same circuits and they were all, you know, friends. It, it just could talk about falling forward, man. Like, if you have to pick up, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I got rid of Fat Mike on bass and I added John Myung from Dream Theater to, to replace him. You know, it's like, oh, right. God, OK. And, and I'm sure it probably helped out that they all knew one another. It's like, you know, when you're buddies, you kind of have done the same type of stuff. You didn't you know, they didn't pick somebody up from like California or from across the country, or across the world. They had some local guys. So I feel like they were probably all on the same sheet of music, so to speak. They probably all had the same types of backgrounds, the same types of like uh, friend groups, the same types of shows and, and venues they played. So I imagine just and I speak from experience on this, too. I, I think the transition to the to the new members from those guys was probably very, very fast and very, very easy because they were all kind of on the same page to begin with. Yeah, they definitely all, you know, were kind of trying to eat from the same cake, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming together with a shared vision. I think this record just, it, it was it was weird because I feel like I was so down on it when it first came out. Because I used to complain to my buddy. I used to be like, yo, I like Colors. Colors is a pretty cool record, but, you know, I, I can't even get through a whole song before I get to work. You know, uh, or because at the time I lived, I lived relatively close to my workplace. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even now, I like I think my drive to work's like forty five minutes to an hour or something like that. It's yeah, so like uh, two thirds the way through it. I could get mostly. I could get probably to Viridian, right? I kind of want to. I kind of want to highlight uh, some of our some of our favorite tracks, and so I'm going to start with you, Mike, and see what track on Colors you feel like is is the defining track on the record. Ants of the Sky. Really? Coming right off the back of Son of Nothing. I mean, which which is just an absolute masterpiece. Blake hits that drum fill, and they, they have that just incredible build up in the very beginning. They have that kind of uh, chromatic, that the guitars just start building up to this big crescendo. And then Paul Wagner drops that just giant sweep pick section, and then off to the races you go. To me, that is like the, that's kind of the cherry on the top of Kellers, quite frankly. You've got a huge variety of, of stuff so right off the bat you've got some guitar noodling just bring it in on some fast drum fills you go into a very 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 fast and kind of frantic but it's not it's not like death metal it's it's closer to like like older punk or thrash type riffs it's really quick and really lively and then it goes straight into that just badass arena rock like anthemic guitar that oh uh, dude it's queen worship Oh, it's like they were they were they had to be sitting around like just baked listening to like, you know, a night at the opera like, dude, we can we can totally pull this off. Like and then (laughs) that man, you go through that whole thing, you go back into like just deep death metal territory, like some really just grinding cuts in there, man. You've got some like just real heavy vocals. Everything's going along. And then like 
the way that progresses is just it's a master class in songwriting for like heavy music my opinion again take this with a grain of salt because it's just it's just me but um for what it's worth for those of you who don't know I, I have played guitar for more than 20 years i was in a band we played all over the place you know I've, I've i've kind of met a lot of people and done a lot of stuff and written a lot of songs and i can tell you like that that is a master class this thing goes from a just energetic transition from son of nothing builds up goes drops this huge anthemic guitar riff and this big kind of chorus part on you, dies back in the death metal territory, and then what comes out of it is it suddenly turns into like a, a jazz fusion. There's like like smooth jazz happening there. And then the whole thing culminates into an acoustic guitar, bluegrass kind of like, you know, foot stomper with the sounds of a bar fight in the background going on. Yeah. Like, and then out of nowhere... On the start of like one of the final bars, they drop right back into that anthemic guitar solo part, but they've now harmonized it and they carry that out. It's just, it's incredible. And again, maybe because I have ADHD, I probably appreciate that, but they control the volume of everything properly. They control the structure of everything properly. Nothing feels disjointed. Like when they do these stylistic changes and these like these kind of mood and tempo changes, nothing feels forced or rushed. It does not feel disjointed. It feels like the most natural progression in the world. And that's coming hot off a of son of nothing, which is like, you know, arguably one of the best tracks on that entire album. Like it's, it's, it's like you already come off of one amazing track and you know, and you say how, how, how the hell are they going to top this? And then it just rolls into ants of the sky. And it's man, what a, what a pleasure to listen to that. I, when you and I were talking about this earlier today, I, I re-listened to the album cause I hadn't heard it in a while. And I just, I thought to myself, man, like it's no wonder that I liked that then. And I still like that now because it is just a, it's a masterclass in songwriting. I love that song as well. I mean, especially the, the way he starts to just like my teeth, taste funny today they Hell seem yeah. more jagged than normal you know and it's just wild how it comes in because like i you're already kind of feeling a little bit emotionally defeated when you get to the end of son of nothing because like that song is so relatable but also so ridiculous you know from from a from a thematic oh, yeah. standpoint alone where you're like well what is son of nothing about well it's about a guy that hates humanity hates society hates everything around him and eventually he concocts this plan it's basically like half of the plot of the astronaut farmer right uh where he the guy builds himself a rocket ship because he hates society and decides that he's going to fly the rocket ship that he built into the sun right yeah. and you know we've all been there right i mean who, who hasn't wanted to just you know fly a rocket ship into the sun uh, every time they have a bad day right like I, I've considered it multiple times, but then it decides it's going to tackle kind of the, the the grand expanse of space and really really tackle in in a semi realistic way how much of a journey that actually is. So yeah. he gets in the ship and he's got the quiet time. He's away from humanity. He's got a minute to himself to think. And as he's hurtling towards the sun, it starts to occur to him that you know maybe maybe I'm overreacting a little bit maybe things aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be, but now I've made this sort of snap decision and there's no way that I can go back on it and I'm trapped and now I, I'm, I'm eternally hurtling towards the sun. And so like Resigned you basically, your fate. yeah. And it's, it's great too, how like lyrically and musically they line up really well. Whereas the intensity of his fear of impending destruction starts to build up as the music becomes more intense, more grindy. And we basically are just done witnessing this man's demise. And then bam, we're right into Ants of the Sky. You know, it just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't get a um, breath. I mean, that's son of nothing. Make no mistake, man. And this this whole album, I, I, should, I should mention this too. And this is, again, my opinion, but I, I think this is pretty accurate. This is not an album. I, I don't think you can passively listen to this album. This is an active listening. This is something you need to actively engage with and coming off of the emotional high of son of nothing and going straight into ants of the sky like you, you you get no reprieve i mean there's there's literally no reprieve like the ending the frantic ending like drum and guitar riffs and stuff and son of nothing goes straight into the frantic riffs that open ants of the sky so they keep that fear and that like uncertainty and that energy they just keep right on on it and they do not let up it just keeps on going and i just again i could you know i could play guitar for two lifetimes and not and not come up with something half as good as that just the state of mind you got to be in the quality of the musicians that you're working with I mean, the stars have to align on that. You guys all have to be on the same wavelength. 
I can't, you know, and I, I've worked with a lot of really great musicians over the years and guys that I just, you know, admire the hell out of. And we were excellent together playing music. We could make some good songs, but nothing like that. That's 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 a completely different headspace, and I'd love to know how to get in that headspace. I, I, truth, truth be told, I'd love to pick their brains and kind of just get their get their songwriting process, you know, understand that better. Because I mean, they they can just turn out some incredible incredible works of art. And for me, that work of art is the song "Informal Gluttony." Oh I yeah, think. that's the one that speaks to me the most. I don't think it's any kind of secret for anybody listening to this podcast. I have a very interesting relationship with my job and with corporations and all of that. And so this song really spelled that out to me, even though I didn't necessarily understand it at the time. Because like when this first came out, uh, I was working at a bank, which is like the most corporate thing <laughs> that you can ever, you know, that, that's where you're, you're going to run into your, your more greedy people, your, your, your kind of shifty CEOs. I mean, I know they're everywhere, right? But this was the first time that I was like really exposed to it in a real way. And so like the lyrics jump in, you know, it, like very early on, it just says construction paper traffic just sort of this like chaotic scene and um i've always hated you know long commutes and dealing with traffic in the morning corner office destruction the cityscape burns brighter by the hour clock tower bring us all down marching like ants to the foundation of the higher form it's just interesting how they kind of go into the like into this idea of like having a, a corner office tubes give me the best view in the hut so like you've got this society of people that are that are driven by the approval of the machine that they're a part of, right? They're looking sure. for that type of validation. And so, and it's interesting how the chorus of the song, if you want to call it a chorus, is like, feed me fear, feed me fear, informal gluttony. And I kind of struggled with that for a while until I had a boss at that job who was very overbearing. They led with fear only, you know, as the only motivation. So when it says, feed me fear, feed me fear, feed me fear, and with it being being called informal gluttony, it's almost as if like, yes, I'm being led by fear. Fear is my only motivation, but I have to get the best view in the hut. So please feed me more of it. You know what I mean? And like that, that always stood out to me as a really interesting way to prove it. It's a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, even back, even back in the earlier albums, but a lot of that, the lyrical content and stuff like that is, despite the, the huge, grandiose nature of the music, a lot of it's about the hopelessness of like living in modern life, like the, the, the childishness of like the rat race, so to speak. Like, you know, one of the things that, you know, spoke to me, I think, as a, as a younger uh, guy, like a teenager listening to this was, you know, growing up in a, a very small, you know, conservative Christian, like rural town in, in, you know, South Central Illinois, there was a, if you were in any way, shape or form self-aware, it was just a curse. It was a total curse yeah. because now you're looking at like, you know, oh my God, like I know what's out there and I literally cannot get away from this. So you're kind of stuck. So, you know, as a, as you know, the lyrical content of being like an informed or aware or awake, maybe observer to the cold machinations of like the capitalist or business or whatever you want to call it, anything you want to like, you know, uh, ascribe to that, it adds to the sense of fear and being boxed in and foreboding because like, you know, you, you are kind of seeing through the eyes of someone who's aware, someone who was not aware of their surroundings or aware of the situation in which they're placed would be musing about such things. They would just be, you know, happily resigned to their fate. So the the lyrical content really does touch on the the hopelessness of like modern society and the and the childishness sometimes of the ways in which we allow ourselves to be caged or put aside or filled with fear so to speak by other people and kind of just you know to, to the point where you know you want to put yourself in a rocket and blow yourself to the sun because right. that's the yeah. you know, it's not just self-destruction you know which violates you know every core tenet of human nature and, and biologic nature in, in general it's beyond that it's complete and total annihilation from like this plane of existence and you and the whole time being 
so disgusted with everything that you're isolating yourself from like literally every other living being in the universe to, to do this. So you're not just like, you know, you're not just violating like the, the core tenet of biology. You're like, yeah, you're so fed up. You're isolating yourself to do it. So a lot of that, you know, lyrical content at first glance seems really, you know, goofy. Tommy writes some pretty wild stuff. Yeah. But you know, and, and like all, all literary, you know, works, you can, you can kind of like, you know, ascribe your own personal biases and things like that to it as well. But at the end of the day, like it, it's some pretty heavy stuff. Not all of it is, but it's, it's some pretty heavy stuff. It really is. Now that I'm thinking about it, I never thought about these songs as in, con- I always felt like they were very separate from each other, separate chapters. Now that I'm looking at the track listing and we just sort of had the talk that we did, do you think that informal gluttony leads to a son of nothing? You know, I never really saw the connection there, but I, yeah. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it now. Sure, it but, does. Uh, because what other reaction would 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 one have if you were like self-aware in that situation, cursed like I, you know, felt that I was as a child or a young teenager, you know? But to if you reach a point where it's so heinous and so untenable to continue in that way, like you'd want to be rid of everything. And, the, and and what better way to be rid of that than to be 93 million miles from Earth barreling towards the sun, right? And it's crazy how it sounds almost so appealing. But yeah, that Informal Gluttony is probably, uh, probably my favorite songs on the album. Probably my, I, it's hard because I love the way this album opens up. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, like, it's Night at the Opera. It's, you know, if, if Freddie Mercury was on that track, if he was still alive and on that, I'd be like, oh yeah, of course he was. Like, it's incredible. What, what a way to open with the, the, the solo piano, right? And the, and just the, the kind of nebbish, kind of timid vocals from Tommy kind of starting that whole thing off. And then it just drops into this giant five-part harmony, just anthem. Yeah, what a way to go, man. It's interesting, the placement of Viridian, in that I think this sort of explains why I had so much trouble at first getting into this record because it, you've got informal gluttony son of nothing ants of the sky then prequel to the sequel the only way i can really explain that is that would be like somebody being like okay uh there's this new book out but first i really need you guys to sit down and read four encyclopedias of four different world histories. Once you have an understanding of that, we're gonna give you a little break with Viridian, and then now you need to go into White Walls. You know what I mean? Like it is. Yeah, they're smart for that, Dan. They know you have to. You have to have with that much energy. You have to have a break. You got to have a transitory phase to kind of tie up. You know, the sum of everything that came before, and then lead you right into the the uh, the exit, right as it were. So that's. It makes sense. You got to give people a chance to digest. They couldn't. They couldn't just go hard the entire time. There'd be, you'd be just dumbfounded by the time it was over. Absolutely. And White Walls is longer than a lot of like hardcore demos I have. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, clocking in at 14 minutes 13 seconds. This song length. somehow is able to encapsulate everything that we've been talking about into one song. I'm fanboying out real hard. <laughs> I'm hard listening to it too. I'm like, nothing that I'm saying is making any sense because I'm just rocking out to this album. It's just, it's it's really hard. So I, let me paint a picture for, I guess, the folks who've never heard this. This album, when I said earlier, you have to listen to it all at once. I really mean that because it goes places, you know, like the heavy vocals or not, or like the kind of the death metal and the, the irritating grating parts or not. It's all part of the portrait, so to speak. And so a lot of this stuff, like if there's rage or irritation or like uncertainty or fear happening there, like they're not just, you know, Tommy's not just using like lyrics to show that, like the music is backing that up. It's like film scores. That's one of the things I I compared that album to very early on. Parts of it sound just exactly like a film score. And there are ways, you know, when, when when you score a film, like you're watching this movie without any music and like the composers have to put together a piece that makes thematic and emotional sense to what's what's happening on the screen and so they they did this that's how this album is that's the only way i can put it if you if you take it as a entire work and kind of have it in the back of your mind this is kind of like a film score they're kind of scoring some of the more dark and unsavory and like repetitious machinery of like modern living but it, it's incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. And and the way they do this, I don't think, again, I, I don't think they've topped it. And some other folks can disagree with me, and, and that's valid. I get, like I said, par- I think Parallax 2 came very, 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 very close. It was a hell of a good album. But this just felt so fresh. And you could tell these guys were just staying up late and just 
racking their brains for ways to make this thing work. And then, you know, when they put out that recent remix remaster of it, which I'm always kind of tenuous about, I'm, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know about those. Because a lot of times they, they kind of mess up the original feel or the original kind of like gravity of the album. I thought the, the remix and remaster was absolutely ph phenomenal. Like that was, they, they brought everything that was there out front and center, made it more clear and didn't really embellish anything. They kind of changed the feel. It was just better. I agree. The remaster is is really the definitive way to listen to it. Did they ever release CD copies of that? Because I collect everything on CD, right? Because I'm a weirdo and kind of an old man. But uh, one of these days, people are going to think they're cool. I really hope they. I, I hope they did. I I, I want to say I'll have to go online and look. Cause I don't know for sure, but I feel like with the there is some resurgence of like analog media or digital, like old like actual physical media, more vinyl than than CD. But I mean, it'll come back around. I see kids nowadays wearing what look like you know bum jackets and like acid wash jeans it's like it's the 90s i'm like okay shit here we are we're, we're now we're coming back up on whenever i was a kid maybe it will i I'd, I'd be surprised if they didn't but i'm glad i'm glad it's there anyway you know i'm, I'm glad if, it, if it's just digital I'm, I'm glad it's there because i think whoever was involved in that was a fan of the band and a fan of those albums and really put the correct amount of polish and effort into it without embellishing or changing the original feeling of the recordings if you had to describe this record to somebody that had never even heard the style of music how would you describe it man i mean i'm just gonna give you all the hard questions so 70s prog rock meets 90s death metal that's probably the simplest way i could describe it to anybody That's so vague. So if you like, you know, Kansas, Queen, Pink Floyd, you know, that kind of stuff, yes, obviously. And you like heavier music as well. You know, you're kind of like a fan of kind of everything. Like me, I'm kind of a fan of, you know, you know the 70s arena rock and the prog rock, prog metal, all this other stuff like that. I mean, it just feels good. It's like, to me, if you were, if you were like me and had a, a progressive introduction to music, start kind of starting off with like basic stuff and then getting into like punk rock and getting into a little bit of heavier stuff and then a little bit of here and there and screamo, da, 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 so on and so forth. To me, this felt like the natural culmination of where things should go. Like if I, this, I know it sounds so vague, man. Does that make sense? Like it, it just, it feels like, you know, they obviously have a, the band has an insane amount of appreciation for these bands. I, I, there's no way they can tell me otherwise because there's so much inspiration that's very obvious there. I don't throw the word masterpiece around very often, but I consider this to be a masterpiece. It's basically, it's a bunch of dorks with ADHD that were huge nerds, and it's a love letter to 70s prog rock and 90s death metal and all the other stuff that they've listened to over the years and, you know, grew up playing guitar and drums and everything too. And quite frankly, with the acquisition from Glass Casket, I think it was a way for them to show off. I really do. And good, good on them. Good on you guys. Like, to show your chops and to show your evolution as a band, like, what better way to follow up what was a, you know, unbelievable album on Alaska than with this? Just just dropping that on everybody yeah that there's a little bit of showboating happening there and i i support it all the way man what a what a what a good way to do it too you're not just like you know you're not just you know big dick and like paul stanley and everybody but you're actually backing it up with some incredible composition and, and execution it's 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 majestic for sure it's funny because i on our old podcast discography discussion we used to call between the buried and me adult contemporary death metal That's, that's accurate. 
yeah and i think it's it's fun and for you guys that are that are joining us uh a lot of you guys we know and we really are i think mike especially is just floored at you guys coming out and commenting on this little live video we're doing tonight but yeah the way i would describe it is if you you know you guys some of you guys that that, that i work with here are hear me blasting this stuff <laughs> you know ad nauseum uh, day in and day out this is an album that if you were ever going to listen to a death metal album in your life this is the one that you want to listen to and um you know there's plenty of plenty of elitist metal guys out there that are like it's not really death metal it's more like uh it's really like progressive metal chords yeah i realize oh, that Christ. you know the i can pull the out subgenre police yeah yeah they have a, i mean dude i would be harder on those guys if i wasn't kind of one of them you know Oh, but uh, gate, you're one of those gaslight gatekeep bosses, huh? When it comes to music, I mean, you know, I I might have an Excel spreadsheet, you know, of different music genres all spread out, and you know, but uh, yeah, if you're if you're into if you're into the guitar solos and riffage of bands like Queen, you know, but you've got a guy that screams, but also can sing so well, very very, very he has well. a, a a beautiful singing voice, beautiful screams. They can and, all sing very uh, well. They all back him up. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Uh, it's funny because whenever we were talking about doing this stream tonight, instead of pulling the album version of Colors up, I listened to the uh, I listened to the live version because I've, I've got the DVD of the live version, and I was actually at that show I'm so uh, where they recorded that live DVD. They, they literally just came out on stage, played this entire album from beginning to end. Then they took a break, and then they came back and played a whole bunch of old favorites <laughs> as well. And then uh, at the end of the night, uh, they all gathered up at the top of the venue and everybody watched Home Alone together, which is random. But I mean, that's uh, that's just this band, you know, I had a good buddy who was on tour with them a while back. This has been several years ago. And he said, that's that's par for the course. They'd go out to the bar and, and they were just like they would sit around and just, and just clown on everybody, and just be like huge goofballs. And apparently, you know, I've never had I've never spoken to them in person. But, uh, you know, my buddy who was on tour with them said they're very nice people like very very polite and very nice people and it was just a pleasure to be on tour with them which i i believe it you know you can't be well i i say you can't be an asshole and and, and produce works of art like that but i guess you, you absolutely can but uh to their credit they're they're apparently not they're apparently very good guys so you know good on you guys and and i guess thanks for making something that's just been a major part of my life now since it came out and is you know it pushed me to want to improve my musicianship and, and broaden my musical horizons, I think, more than anything else uh, to that point in my life. So, you know, it was... And again, if you never have heard this album and you're not, like, familiar with the genre, like, I think, you know, we kind of opened up a little bit earlier talking about how, you know, you get that, you know, people who just dismiss it because, oh, they're just screaming bullshit, like, all this other stuff. Like, this is, this is significant to people. Like, to Dan and I, like, and other people like us, like, this is significant to us. Like this type of music is significant to us. Like it's the medium or I guess the delivery that we have chosen to like, you know, convey our emotions or to draw like our emotional strength from or things like that. And so to just dismiss it because of one or two things that, that don't make sense or feel abrasive, like I, I think you're doing yourself a tremendous disservice because, you know, this is significant to a large number of people. And I'm talking about the, the, the genre in, in general now. And for some people out there who have who had tried as, you know, young adults or teenagers or middle schoolers to find some outlet for their frustrations or their joy or their, you know, victories and losses, like if everything else that people are doing around you is not meeting the the need, the inward need you have to kind of have an emotional outlet, and this does, I mean, then it's that's significant, you know. That's a that's a major milestone in your life. So to be dismissive of it because it's abrasive or because of you know one thing or the other, I think is just doing a disservice. Because you know if you look at the album as a whole, the lyrics, the musicianship, all the transitions, things like that, like it's really apparent. Like all of these pieces serve a, a, a very clear purpose in the greater picture. And again, I just you know, in, in addition to the genre itself, just to kind of defining my early adolescence and early teenage years, this this album was just uh, it was beyond. And there's only, there's a handful of albums I have out there, Dan, that are that are like this to me. You know, and, and some of them make no sense at all. Like I am Hollywood, but he is legend is one that I that is is an absolute like just banger for me. I think that's a phenomenal album, and there's a couple others out there. But you know, this is important. I think people should listen to it at least to say they have, and to try to draw something from it musically or or just to enjoy it as as a whole. I, I think it's 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 definitely worth your time. I mean, it's what like what is it, like 72, 73 minutes long. You know, you're it's yeah. You know, 
you're getting a hell of a lot of value for your 73 minutes. And I think for me, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying about the genre and the, and all of that, I think for me, it's something, you know, you know, Dan Terry, the guy is not very powerful, not very commanding, not very strong. I've always had a weird feeling of, of weakness, you know, like almost small man syndrome, even though I, I'm not a small man. But uh, I do think that, you know, I've, I've always had sort of that insecurity and this kind of music really can make me feel powerful enough to get through the day yeah. every day. And so an album like this, especially like, cause a lot of my frustrations, anybody that listens to the podcast or just knows me personally, you know, a lot of my frustrations stem from work or just general like poorness, never, never really being satisfied with my place in the world. You know, maybe there's a lesson in contentment there uh, that we can explore at some other time. But I've always been frustrated by the world around me, sort of sort of irritated by things. And this kind of music just kind of slaps a huge Band-Aid on that. gives me you know the the screaming and the riffs and the the drums it's cathartic it's cathartic and it gives you you know it's like it's like slamming two monsters before you work a shift you know it gives you that extra boost that you're going to need in order to get through your day and be able to be a decent human being even when you're not feeling like one and this album especially colors is very complimentary to that it gives me very long stretches of things to concentrate on because i like having a primary concentration and a secondary concentration and a lot of the times when i'm listening to music i'm primarily concentrating on the music and you know a lot of people listen to music for background noise i don't i listen to music and then the rest of the world is the background noise active listening man i i get it that's you know and well said dude like i think that's one of the things i think people you know not, and not all the time i'm not saying like you know just become a music snob all the time but like you know whatever you're listening to like if it's a if it's something that's really good like and it means something to you or if you're just like you know like look deeper into it like find out like why you know why do i feel this way like you know why do i feel like empowered by this part and like it, there's a reason for it and like that's you know there's significant things to all of us and i think that this this album you know and you and i have talked a lot about how we are basically the exact same person we have the exact same type of type of childhood and background upbringing so on and so forth so it probably speaks to us both in in a similar way for that reason you know what i mean it was like you know if you are a, a person who was not you know i wasn't like a big you know braggadocious dickhead i was just kind of a nice kind of studious dude you know kind of quiet well, I, would, I guess i wasn't really quiet but you know, I, I was not definitely like an out, super outgoing, you know, social guy. Listening to this, you can't help but feel kind of powerful listening to it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, I listened to it tonight before we started this podcast. And like, I was just smiling ear to ear during, you know, like certain parts. And they, cause you know, it's coming up cause you've heard it before. It's just like, oh man, they just nailed that. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, I, I chalked that up there to, you know, this is their night at the opera. You know, this is their sound of perseverance. This is, you know, this is their operation mind crime. Like this is like their kind of seminal moment there. And I, I think that's, I think they know that. I think that from what I've seen in the past, like in some interviews and stuff like that, I think Tommy in particular, probably the rest of the guys don't want to be known only for that or be pigeonholed by that, so to speak, as artists. They want to grow and continue to, to do things. And, you know, I, I guess uh, some of it is unavoidable that you'd be kind of 
you, you can't just put something like that out in the in the ether and be like, oh, we don't want you guys to focus on this, you know, you know, ad nauseum. Like, of course they are. It's, it's such a good album, but it, it, it's it's definitely it's up there with a lot of the best albums I've heard, man, from all sorts of different genres. It's 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 an absolute it's a treasure. I'm I'm glad they made that, and I'm glad I found it when I did. And I think that for the particular point in my life that I was in, it was precisely what I needed to kind of advance me forward musically, and I think in a lot of ways culturally and and, and personally. Absolutely. And Mike, I think you are a treasure for coming on and, and, and giving your thoughts, Aww. giving your feelings. I know there's a lot of people in the chat that are just happy to see you, man. So um, Yeah, hi guys. Shout out to Al. Al, you are owning the chat, brother. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you coming on and having this talk with me. And um, Anytime, man. It will not be the last. So if you guys want to see more Mike... Got to hit that subscribe button. Got to hit that like button. Got to do all that stuff. Or, I mean, you could also just call them and, like, go hang out with them or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the thing, too. But, you know, if, you, if you're not close to, to me and Mike, then, yeah, the like and subscribe button is probably the quickest way. So, uh, Show guys, some love. thank you guys so much. If you guys enjoyed this conversation and you haven't watched anything of mine before or heard anything of mine, I apologize. Uh, I was a little rusty on this live stream i kept hitting my mic uh when i when i would raise my hands and stuff some rookie mistakes that i absolutely should not be making at this stage of my career but uh you know it is it is what it is but thank you guys for watching and uh check out the pot the main podcast dft's dungeon which there's a new episode every single week and i think i've got like three more episodes left this season before uh i decide to take a little bit of a seasonal break and i'll be back on the podcast in i think february of 24 with weekly episodes then so thank you guys so much and thank you mike you bet anytime and i will uh i'll see everybody next week